So let me again ask me one time what's, what's really my favorite. So this morning, it's going to be kind of a little different because I, I always try to kind of put things in, in line in order and for you. I don't need it really for me, but, but uh, one of my favorite verses that I think is applicable for today is found in Psalms 103, verse 2. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul. He, he's at a time when things were not going good. Matter of fact, he's at a very rough point in his life. But he said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and, and forget not all of God's benefits. And the question is, why would he even say this? And here's the answer, because he knows we forget. Dottie Rambo sang a song, remind me, remind me. Roll back the curtain of memory now and then. Show me where you brought me from and where I could have been. Please, Lord, remember I'm human, and humans do forget. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. I wish I'd have wrote that. We go through life and we forget the benefits of God. We do. God has been better to us than we deserve. But I want you to know this morning that I'm, I'm going to tell you a New Testament story. Larry McGinn asked me about favorite verses, and I kind of laughed that off. But, but I do have favorite verses. I really do. And I have favorite stories. And, and this is one of them. And because that it is one of them, I, I just think that it helps us to remember Psalms 103, verse 2, because things in life causes us to forget the goodness of God. It does. All kinds of stuff happens to us. And, 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 and we really, and one day when we get to the other side and we begin to weigh the balances, we'll see that God's goodness and grace has been so much more than our inconveniences. Like, matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said that even when they stoned him and he come back to life, he said, he said, the little things that I have suffered in his life is not even worthy to compare to the things that awaits me. My goodness. And here's a guy that just was stoned and killed. And so this is found in St. John chapter 6, verse 5 through 7. Everybody knows this story, but you really don't know it the way I know it. And so uh, I'm going to kind of let you in on some inside information that, that kind of help you see how my mind thinks, because I am different. And, and you don't have to applaud that or boo me, but I am different. I think different, but I want you to think different. And so I, I, I want to make the scriptures alive to you, and I, and I really just don't want you to read things, and I want you to see them come alive to you. So in John chapter 6, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and he saw a great company come unto him, that he said unto Philip, how in the world are we, going to, how are we going to buy this much bread to feed all these people? And I'll explain. And he said to prove this to Philip, for he himself, Jesus, knew what he would do. And Philip said... He said, Lord, 200 pennies worth of bread is not sufficient to feed them. That's even if everybody takes a little bitty bit. So we'll stop there. So John the Baptist, which is Jesus' cousin, just got murdered. He was just murdered, and he, and he found out about it. And because he was murdered, he was so overwhelmed with compassion for people. Sometimes it takes hardships to move us into a ministry of compassion. And so now then, he sees this great crowd coming. And the word great is a word called the Greek called megos. And I'll talk slow because I'm not, a lot of this won't be broadcasted up here. So, so there's a great crowd. And, and, and the Lord said that, that he said, how in the world are we going to provide so much bread for these people? And Philip said, not even 200 days wage would even begin to touch to feed these people. 
So 200 pennies worth is 200 denaro. One denaro is per day's wage. So I don't know what you make a year. I don't want to know. But I will tell you, take 200 days of your year to feed the church one day, and it wouldn't even cover it. So Philip said, it's impossible. Even if we worked 200 days, it couldn't feed these amount of people. And the Bible said Jesus said this to prove to them. Not that he didn't know, but Jesus knew, but he was about to, the word prove is a Greek word called parazo. And parazo means is to expose a deficiency. Now, parazo was a medical term that Paul used, but parazo means, it means to put under the beaker tube and the light of the Bunsen burner, and it exposes a lack or deficiency, like the doctor would say, you're lacking this, and you're lacking this, and you're lacking money, and whatever. You're lacking something, so take more, take more Flintstones vitamins, and you'll feel better. So Jesus said, he said, how are we going to feed this group of people? And Peter said, and, and Philip said, I don't have a clue. And, and Jesus said this to prove to him. The word parazo means there's a lack that these men have in their life that have not yet been fulfilled. So the reason why that's important is because that they've seen him do many miracles, but they've never seen this. Isn't it amazing when you think you, you know it all? Oh, I know it all. Do you now? Buckle up, buttercup. Oh, yeah, I've seen, I've seen him raise people from the dead. I've seen blinded eyes open. Oh, we have seen it all, he, they said to one another. And Jesus said, then how are we going to feed this group? Because he was about to expose a deficiency in their faith. I'm not telling you that God gives you pleasure or God gives pleasure in taking you to to some very difficult circumstances, but I will tell you that when we pass first grade, I think we have to go to the second and then on and on. There may be some areas, even though that you may be strong in faith, but maybe there's some areas in my life personally, which there is, that I need a good schooling. So God said the best way to do this is to let you face something you never faced before. Maybe you're sitting here and you don't know what I'm doing here. Well, I'll tell you what you're doing here. You're learning something here. You're not here by accident. You're here by assignment. These guys have seen a lot of things, but they've never seen what they're about to see. So, so Andrew pops up and he says, we, we, so we know for a fact that there's somewhere between, we'll talk about this in a moment, but there's a huge crowd. All right. So in this crowd, Philip shows up and said, all we have here, we've asked around, nobody has anything to eat. Nobody. Well, we know that's a lie because all women carry purses. And I've always said, if I'm, on a, if I'm stranded on a desert island, I want to be with my wife because she's got everything right now from chewing gum to a 380 pistol in that purse right now. And I have to be careful when I ask for a piece of gum that I don't get that other one. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah, she got it all. So when they went around, do you got anything to eat? They go, nope, we ain't got nothing. Well, I know that's not true because all women carry everything. They got everything from iodine to mentholatium to needle and thread. They carry it all. You got everything in your purse. So they said, ain't nobody got nothing. And Andrew wags in this little boy. He's called a lad. He's Pateon between five and seven. And he said, we found this little boy and, and, and he, 
He's wanting to give, and this is what he has. He has five loaves and two fishes. Now, ardos is a word that the Greeks sometimes use for bread, and it's the loaves of bread. But we know for a fact that a five-year-old boy doesn't carry around loaves of bread. Christos is the Greek word. Christos and sardinos. This boy has five crackers, and not only are they crackers, but the Greek says, in King James says, they're barley. Barley was the grain of the poor. This was a poor child in a poor home. And all he had, and, and so he had five wheat thins and two pickled sardines or salted sardines. It was his personal snack. It's something he carried in his pocket. All boys carry stuff in their pocket. Remember Leon on Andy Griffin, that <laughs> O.P. Howard's brother, you know, Leon, that cowboy? He kept peanut butter sandwiches in his pocket. He kept frogs and peanut butter sandwiches in the same pocket. He really did. He'd pull out a frog and he'd pull out a peanut butter sandwich and he'd offer somebody one and they'd go, no, we're good. Well, so here's a little boy, John says, a lad between five and seven that has, has anted up two sardines, and five wheat thins. This is all we have. And so we know for a fact that it probably wasn't enough, but so the Lord commanded for these men to sit down. The Bible says, have these men sat down in groups of 50. The Greek word for men is andrios, head of household. So we have 50 husbands. Then we have groups of 50 wives. And then no telling how many children that we have. So, so now then we have 5,000 husbands. Remember he fed 5,000? It's not men, it's head of households. We have 5,000 husbands. We have 5,000 wives. And the Jews prided themselves on children. So there's no telling how many kids were involved. So the lexicon says that there could be anywhere between 25 and 35,000 people at this moment in time that he's feeding. Okay. I'm going somewhere with this if you'll be patient with me. Amen. So now then this crowd is coming in and we can say, we can say conservatively that there's 35,000 people in attendance and all we have in possession to feed them is five wheat thins and two sardines. So they bring this little offering up. The boy brings the hands up to Jesus. And John said, Jesus takes this small token of a snack. And the Greek says that he gave thanks or given thanks. The, the present tense of the Greek says he gave thanks. Now, this is a funny word because the word give thanks, it means to laugh under your breath. Eucharist is a word for giving thanks but there's a, silent, there's a silent A before it, and it means it's laughter under his breath. So this is what we have. We have, we have Jesus been handed this little offering, five loaves and two fishes, five wheat thins and two sardines, and he's looking at 35,000. And so now then he has these pieces of sacraments. And the Bible says that he asked them to bow your heads, and he gave thanks. And when you read this word that he gave thanks, you get this idea that he's saying something like, Creator, Adonai, Jehovah Jireh, he's not doing any of that. When he said that he gave things, the Greek says he's laughing under his breath. He's going something like this. 
And he's saying, Father, if they only knew what you're about to do, they'd be laughing too. See, you get the idea that giving thanks is not, please bow your heads, but he's not doing that. He's, he's laughing under his breath because he knows what he's about to do. He's about to do something that they've never, ever seen before. So in doing so, come on in here. So in doing so, that he's under his breath, he's giving thanks. And he's laughing under his breath. Because he knows that something unimaginable is about to happen. And so now then he's about to take these five sacraments and he's about to divvy it up. And he's about to feed 35,000 with five wheat thins and two crackers. So you know how this story goes. He feeds them all and they're all full. It's a Greek word. It means they, their, their buttons are popping on their shirt. They can't hold anymore. They're, they're all passed out. And so they gathered up all the pieces. He told the disciples, you gather up all the pieces and, and you bring them back to me. All the fragments of pieces. And the Bible says there were 12 baskets left over. Now, in the New Testament, there are, there are many shapes and sizes of baskets. Some are personal size, some are bigger, some about the size of a laundry basket. But the Apostle Paul, remember when, he, when, he, when his first ministry, before he changed his name, that they had to lift him over the wall in a basket. Remember that? Well, that was a big basket. So I'm not for sure how many baskets was left over. We just know that there were 12 large baskets left over. So you're going to ask the question, well, where did the baskets of broken fish and broken crackers go to? And it went to the disciples. And so if, if you're just a common reader of the scripture, you're going to say, well, that's a pretty good gig. It's a reward for them being obedient. It was never a reward of obedience to them. It was to expose their deficiency of about what they're about to face. So when you read this and they have 12 baskets left over because there were 12 disciples, common reasoning would say, well, they all got a big basket because it was it was God recompensing them for working with Jesus. That's the wrong answer. Oh, it went to them, but it was for a different reason. All right. So let me explain a little further. Mark tells it the best. Same story. Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through 48. So straightway, when he constrained his disciples to get into the ship, so now then he has fed the 5,000. He has fed the 35,000 with five wheat, three wheat thins and two sardines. And when, they was, when they're all full and they gathered up the 12 baskets and each disciple had a huge basket, he told them and constrained his disciples to go into the ship and go to the other side, which is about seven miles, into Bethsaida, while he sent the people away. He said, you boys, get into the boat, and I'll clean up here. Sound like most preachers. Y'all get in the boat. Take the baskets with you. There's 12 big baskets of fish. You take them in this small boat while I run everybody off, in which he did. So verse 46. And when he sent them away, did he depart to the mountain to pray? I don't know if he sent everybody off. He just got away from everybody, and I understand that. But besides that, verse 47. 
And when evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. Verse 48. And when he saw them totally and rowing, for the winds were contrary to them, for about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and he would pass by them. We're not going to talk anything about walking on the water. I want to clarify a couple of things. He sends his disciples in the boat with 12 huge baskets of crackers and fish. They're supposed to go seven miles across to Bethsaida. It should have took them no more than an hour and a half. They left in the evening, which is between five and six o'clock. And now then Jesus is still watching them at the fourth watch, which is between five and six in the morning. They've been on that boat and they only made it halfway for anywhere from 10 to 12 hours. Have you ever noticed that your enemy will always wait till you get the middle of something before he'll bring things your way? He'll let you get right to the middle. And it's the same distance from the other shore to the shore of going back before he'll start on you. Oh, he'll let you join the church. He'll let you start coming. He'll let you start teaching the class. Everything's fine until you get about halfway where you need to go. And then hell itself finds you. Oh, I'm going to serve Jesus no matter what. You should have never said that, brother. Mm -hmm. So he's watching these guys. For 10 to 12 hours, these, these were wonderful sailors and fishermen. They knew everything about the sea. And they only made it about three and a half miles, about halfway. It took them 10 hours, and they're getting nowhere. He's watching them. Well, it sounds like a whole lot of us, doesn't it? So they're toiling. That means that Beyonzo is a word in the Greek. It means that they're signing, they're looking for a piece of paper to write their last will and testament. They know they're not going to make it. They really feared that. Matter of fact, when they said they saw him pass by, they cried out, it's a spirit. It, it, was an old, it was an old fable back then. They thought the death angel had come together. They really thought they were going to die right here. Really. They thought it was over. I don't know if any of you have been to a place where you really thought you was going to die, but I understand. So he's watching them toil and, and, and go through all this stuff. And the reason why this is so important that I'm telling you is because the winds was contrary. The winds was toiling them. The water was about to sink them. And, and the boat was just up and down and up and down and up and down. And that was that going on for 10 hours until the fourth watch. And here comes the Lord. Now, some of you heard me say this, and I'll just say it to you, and this is not part of the sermon, but when, when he finally gets on the boat, the Bible said, he says a couple things. He says, the Bible said that he rebuked the wind. The word rebuke in the Old Testament means to say something, means to stop it, that's enough. But in the New Testament, the word rebuke means to stand and not be intimidated. It means to humiliate your enemy in public. When he rebuked the wind, he didn't say anything. He just stood there. I'm not going to go off on that because we'll be here past lunch. But when he said that he rebuked the wind, you're getting this idea that he throws out his hand and he says a couple wonderful words and the winds calm down. That's not what the Greek says. The Greek says when he made his way into the boat, he rebuked the winds. It means to humiliate your opponent in public. It means he didn't do anything. He just stood there. Everybody else around him is going nuts and he's just standing there, not being intimidated by his surroundings. He rebuked the wind. He did not let the wind get in him. 
We're all in the same boat, ladies and gentlemen. The whole world's in the same boat, and the whole world's going you know where. But one of the great things about it, that we as the people of God, we have got to have enough of the life of Christ in us that we do not react or respond to what's going around. We just rebuke the thing and we just stand there. And your greatest testimony is not necessarily saying something. Sometimes your greatest testimony is just standing there. And somebody said, are you not bothered? Nope. And I told you one time, and you've heard me say this, the Gail and I went to a mission trip down there in South America. We went to Costa Rica, and our first time to really fly by seven or eight hours, and I mean, we got into a storm over Cuba, and I mean, it got black. It was as black as, as black, as black as those speakers covers, and I mean, that plane was shaking, and, and I was nervous, and she was nervous, and she was squeezing my hand and broke those two fingers, and, and, and I said, are you nervous? And she's digging claws in me, and really, it was, it was a rough, it was a rough 15 minutes, really, it was rough. And to make matters worse, the pilot come on the air, and this is what he said, we're flying over the airspace of Cuba, and we cannot deviate or they'll shoot us down. Now, that's encouraging. <laughs> Isn't that right, Gala? Yeah. That was encouraging. Because I think I said something. Can we, not, can we not turn right here? I mean, do we have to go right? And they go, ladies and gentlemen, this is your father. And, and, I, and I told you, right? I mean, this plane is shaking, brother. Now, the, the oxygen mask, but the barf bags are out. Oh, yeah. Now, the, the, the oxygen mask has not come down yet. But it's shaking. But I, I, I noticed that I watched the stewardess. And you know what she was doing? She was still doing her very best to serve coffee and beverages. And the Holy Spirit told me, he said, watch her. And I watched her. And, and she said, would you like a refill, blah, blah, blah. Would you, would you like a refill? I'm good, I'm good, you know. Now, if she ran to the back and she strapped herself in and took out a rosary bead and did one of these, we might be worried, but she did not. And the Holy Spirit told me, she said, if she's not worried, then you don't need to be worried. And I mean, I just had great peace about that. We all go through life's battle that is contrary to what we would like. And the winds and the waves and everything trying to overwhelm us. And your enemy will tell you the evening wolves in Zechariah, the evening wolves, always the night wolves that'll get you. It's always at nighttime is the evening wolves will speak to you. They'll howl at you at night. And they'll tell you, your marriage won't survive. You're not going to make it. You're going to financial fail. But I will tell you, if you'll just stay the course and fold your arms and stand there and don't be intimidated or respond to what's going around you, just rebuke anything the winds that would try to move you from trusting God. Really? I'm not telling you anything's going to change. Some things are not meant to be changed. Some things are meant to be endured. It's, it goes back to the proving. God wants you to be a part of something you've never, ever experienced. Because once you come through it, and you will go through it, all it will do, it, it, it will strengthen your resume of a man of faith. You don't have to be the big, get the big. So anyway, so we have about 10 hours we have about 10 hours of tossing and turning and so on and so forth, and, and it's about to sink. So look what it says in verse 52. So when he climbs on board, 
and everything kind of shuts down and the winds stop because he caused them to stop. And he said, peace be still, and the wind stopped. Go back to verse 52. And he said, and, and he, he's, he's given them a, a verbal whipping, if you would. And he said, the problem here, gentlemen, was never about the wind or the waves. The problem is you did not consider the miracle of the loaves because your heart was hard. Now, in the King James, the word miracle is squiggly. It's an added word. So the true reading of the lexicon says this, for they did not consider the loaves. Now, several years ago, you probably heard me talk about this, but this is very important, and it ties into Psalms 103. We have 10 hours of churning and toiling and uprising, and we got turbulence in a small boat. These men know that their life is over. It's about to be over. Waves are coming in. Five gallons are coming in, and one quart's going out. The boat is sinking for 10 hours. And right before the boat sinks and these men are screaming like a bunch of girls, the Lord comes and he walks upon their vessel. He shuts everything down and he said, you know what the problem was? Oh, we know. You don't have to tell us. You wasn't here. The problem is the wind and the wave. He said, that was never the problem. The problem was you never considered the loaves. So the Greek word for consider, as you would know, is called kadanoia. Kada means up and down, and noia means a, a mind process. When you put those two words together, he said, you never examined fully, thoroughly, up and down the loaves. So you're looking at me like, what in the wide world of sports is he talking about? So picture this, if you will before we go home. We have 12 men with 12 large baskets of bread and fish. Chunks and pieces. The wind now has got them going like a food processor. And not only is their, their, their last few days of meals is coming up, but Fish is going up, fish is going down, the wind's got everything churning. What was in the basket now is no longer in the basket. All the baskets of 12 disciples is turned upside down and it's all in the bottom of the boat. Not only is it going up and down, but now then by this time it's in between their toes. Simon's got some in his ears. The disciples has got it in their hair. Loaves and fishes are everywhere because 12 baskets of loaves and fishes was a part of the wind and waves. And he said, your problem is this. You forgot about the loaves. You forgot about what I did in the miracle of the loaves and fishes. Not only you forgot about it, but you were surrounded by loaves and fishes. Everywhere you look, Right now, you got fish and crackers running out your ears. And surely one of you scientists could have said, but you know what? I remember when he fed 5,000 men 
35,000 individuals. And if he could do that, then the same that was God that was on the bank is the same God that is on the boat. Sometimes we are in a situation that is really real. Really. It's hard. It's difficult. It's, 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 it's life-changing. You cannot be here for 35 years with different people and, and not see lives turn upside down. We've had to bury people. We've, we've, we've just seen so much through the years of people's life that what began as the love boat turned out to be the Titanic. I understand. But the great news about some of you, you did not forget about the loaves. Because, what's this? You're covered with blessings. There's blessings that's running out of your ears right now. And you're complaining that you didn't get a $2 raise at work and all along God said, have you forgot the time that I healed your children when you couldn't afford a doctor? My wife used to pray for washing machines when we didn't have the money to pay for a service call for a washing machine guy. And you're laughing. When we first started, I, I, we, we took no money for the church. We made a very minimal salary, about 800 a month, and we didn't have money to do anything. Allergies. We worked no fill. We owned some oil fill equipment, some tank trucks. It was going under early 80, 81. Oil went down to about $6 a barrel. Boy, we were working hard. Couldn't make it. Couldn't make it. I was about to, I don't know. I'm 50 now, I think. I'm not sure how old I am now, but I was about... 23, 24, you know, just a young convert. And, I, and I, thought, I thought when I signed up for Christ, everything was going to go wrong. Somebody lied to me. And I remember coming in one day at her mom and dad's house where we had the trucks parked. And, and I was just not really having a pity party, but I was having a pity party because things were not going good. And we honored God and we lived for God. We went messing up. And we did everything that we could to do what was right. And I climbed out of that truck. And boy, I mean, I was just, I was mad at God. I just, you know, I say mad at God. That's not a fair word, but you know, I've learned through the years, God lets you vent. He'll let you vent. All through the scripture, he said, well, go ahead, get it out. And I was grinding gears on that 18 shifter and I pulled up to the driveway and slammed the door and got out and started walking the back of the house where mom and dad lived. And when you walked in the back door, there was a small room, there was a washer and dryer right here in a separate room. And I could hear my wife. I could hear her praying for a washing machine. I 
I opened that door and I heard somebody praying about volume nine. And I knew it was her. And I thought one of the boys, I thought one of the boys had a, a demonic upri- you know, upheaval in them. I didn't know what was going on. That was common back then. She was rebuking foul spirits. And when I looked in that room, she had both hands on that washing machine, praying aloud. I think the water pump didn't work. I don't know. But I didn't join in. I thought, my goodness, if any woman's got the faith for a pray for a water machine, I'm staying out. She laid hands on it and prayed for a while and she kicked it twice and it started working. (laughs) And I think it was at that moment in time I could put myself in the same position with the disciples. It was at that moment in time when the wind ceased and the waters turned like glass. I knew that I was in the presence of something that was bigger than me. And I want to be brutally honest with you this morning. I never want to get to a place where I have forgot how good God has been to me. Time will not permit of the stories that Gail and I have experienced through the years that things were absolutely going downhill quickly. But God blessed us. And I will tell you this morning, at any point of your life, that even though you feel like you're not going to make it, you won't survive it, you won't endure this storm, I'm just going to ask you to do something with me this morning. If you'll just quit complaining about the wind and the waves, and would you just begin to look around and examine the loaves and fishes that God has blessed you with. Right. It's all over you. Some of you, you you've, got, you've got grace running out of your ears. Some of you have got goodness oozing out of your pockets. Amen. You fall in my office and you say, well, it's not fair. It, nowhere in the Bible it says God is fair. But he's just and he's righteous. And I will tell you, every day in my life since then that I've repented and said, God, I forgot. I forgot how good you've been to me. I forgot about the loaves and fishes. I forgot about the time when my children were burning up with fever. We could not afford a doctor, but my wife. See, my wife does all the praying. You see that. I do all the preaching. She does all the praying. You made a way. I don't know about you, but God has been so better to me than I ever deserved. And I refuse to spend the rest of my life talking about how bad the wind and the waves is. I think I'll just spend the rest of my days talking about how good God is. So when we go through things that are not good, all you have to do is just do what Jesus said. You did not examine the loaves and fishes that was all in your toes and on your body and stuck to your forehead. They're everywhere because your heart was hardened. 
It's a Greek word called callous. And all calloused is, is it's, it's an injury that never healed. It's a blister that never healed. And sometimes that we can be hurt and never get healed from it and we become hard. That's why Paul said, always be tenderhearted. Never be calloused in your heart. Allow God to soften. You know, I used to have a lot of blisters and guys said, let me see them hands, blisters. And I said, I'm a man, I don't need no oil. And you can pinch me here right now and it don't bother me. You can pinch me and I'll scream like a girl. But I will tell you that we have been hurt in church. We've, we've been hurt in, in our Christian walk and we say, we don't need anything from God. We're just going to endure this and we become hard. We become hard and we've never been healed. And all of the Holy Spirit is designed as we learned last week that the wine is the antiseptic to heal the wounds and the oil heals the scars. But when we begin to, when we begin to apply oil to our hands, something wonderful happens. You, you've heard me say this and I'm gonna go, but I pray for people a lot until I learn this lesson. The Bible said, if any of you sick or ask the nace out of bread, let him call for the elders of the church and, and anoint them with oil. The reason why that I do that is not because there's something magical in the oil. I've learned this lesson. This is what I'm telling you. When I apply oil in my hands and pray for you, I'm healing not only you, but I'm healing my hands. Every time I put oil on my blisters, I don't really, I didn't realize this for years, but the more I pray for you with oil, the more my hands get softer. Because I can pray for you without oil and it's a little rough. <laughs> Come here, Virgil. <laughs> this is the way I used it. You got a devil. Be gone. That's the way I used to pray. I mean, even though it may be true, sit down. <laughs> but when it says anoint your anointing with oil, it's not really a fingertip. They would pour it into their hands because we as ministers, we as ministers of God, we all get hurt. And instead of carrying around rough, calloused hands, why don't you spend your ministry in praying for other people by the Holy Spirit and you'll find out not only that their lives are being changed, but your, your touch is a little softer. There's a huge difference between me touching you and my grandbaby Alex touching you in the hands. It's solved. So all I ask you to do this morning is this. Bless the Lord with all of your soul. And just don't forget his benefits. Because I'm, I'm telling you right now, everywhere on you is the blessings of loaves and fishes of God's provision for your life. Right now. Now the one thing about this story which is so great that this miracle came about by a boy that wasn't even worthy to be counted. He didn't count. He only counted the men. The boy didn't count as far as the Jews was concerned. Hear me this morning. Sometimes you feel like that you're not worthy to be counted, to be used by God. That's a lie from Satan. Somebody might have told you, well, your life is not important enough but I'm telling you, your life counts. Yes. 
And just because somebody, a big wig in the religious business says, well, you, you know, we don't even count you because you're not good enough. I'll tell you what, this young boy that was not even counted as being someone was the one that was used to bring about a miracle. You count. And last but not least, here's the deal. When it's all said and done, if you'll just bring all your bits and pieces to Christ. Jesus said, bring me all the fragments. Bring them to me. Just bring them to me. Just bring me all the bits and pieces, everything, all the scraps, just bring them to me and watch what I can do with them. You may be here this morning and you may be in pieces. I understand. But if you'll just bring it to Christ, he'll, he'll make something wonderful out of it. My life is a mess, I understand. My life is broken, I understand. But Jesus didn't say, well, put them all together. and with, you know, He didn't say, bring me all the bits and pieces and watch what I will do. And if you'll do that, I'll promise you that your life from this day forward will change. You're covered in goodness and grace. Happiness and joy and contentment is all on you. You forgot to consider the loaves and fishes. Is God good? Yes, He is. Has bad things happened to us? Yes, they have. Have we wasted years of complaining? Yes. But no more. God's been good to me. God's been good to me. My two sons are here. God's been good to me. I'm in good health. God's been good to me. And I think I'll just spend the rest of my days being thankful for what He's given me. Amen? Amen. Father, this morning, we are all your disciples. We, we have surrendered to the call to follow you. And man, have we been through the, the classroom of the unknown. Just when we think we got it figured out, you change directions. But you prove things in our lives that there are certain deficiencies and lackings. Every once in a while, we'll face things we've never had to face before. But it's only to reveal that we need more of you. We've tried to do it on our own. We've tried to operate it on our own. And, but it's just... It's not the same. So this morning, that we like your disciples, that we are covered and surrounded in miracles, blessings, and loaves and fishes. It's all over us. Right in the middle of every storm that we're being surrounded by memories of times where you absolutely have revealed to us and done things for us that we still remember, we just forgot them. But we're going to remember them today. Today, we're going to take the time to remember them. Today, we're not, going to, we're not going to stand in line to gripe at you and wonder, ask you why this had to happen. For the next few moments, we're just going to remember your goodness. And we're not going to forget. You have blessed us. You've given us health. You've given us life. You've given us a home. You've given us happiness. You've given us children. You've, you have blessed us. 
without measure. You've given us life, an abundant life. Goodness and grace pertains not only to the eternal life, but even now. And, and we just forgot to consider what you've done for us in the past. But today we remember. Thank you for healing our bodies. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for a healthy home. Thank you for healthy friendship. Thank you. Thank you for bringing us to this place. Thank you. And for the rest of our lives, we're just going to honor you. And we're going to declare your goodness in Jesus' name. And all the people of God say, man. Stand with me, if you would, please. Turn to about two or three people and say, you know what? You're a loaf and a fish to me. You're stuck to me, and I'm just so glad God has blessed you with me. I, I can't get you out of my life. I can't get away from you. Every time I see you, I see the laughter of God. Yeah. Andre Crouch had it right. If I never had a problem, I would never know that God could solve them. And I would never know what faith in God can do through it all. Through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all. Through it all. I've learned to depend upon your word. Communion servers, would you please come? We're going to remember. Now you get it. We're going to remember. Now you get why I do communion every week. He said, when you take communion, you remember because you forgot. The reason why we celebrate Holy Communion every week is because he said, as often as you drink this cup and take this bread, do this and remember me because you forget. Tomorrow you'll forget. Tuesday you'll forget. You'll get in a whirlwind of, of storms and trials, but every Sunday you have the opportunity to remember. Father, for every, for every boy and every little girl in this place that has five wheat thinnings and two sardines that is willing to give, thank you. They don't even count in the public's eye. They don't even count in the church's eyes. They're not one of the head of households that's even worthy to be mentioned, but you know who they are. We're all little lads here. We all have no great anything, but we have two sardines and five crackers but I give them to you today. Just take it, multiply it, and bless my friends. He took the bread and he said, this is my body that will be broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood that was shed for you. And when you do this, watch this, remember me. Because you forgot. You got hard your heart got hardened. You forgot. But today we'll remember. Bless this cup. Bless this 
bread. In Jesus' name, amen.